give God praise tonight. Aren't you thankful that we have victory in Jesus? Someone says, the enemy tried to destroy me, but God gave me victory. The enemy tried to depress me, but God lifted me up. Right? I know that some of you came to church maybe discouraged tonight, but you need to know that when you're in the middle of a storm, you can worship the Lord through that storm. And when you're on the mountaintop and God's been good to you, you know what to do. You definitely worship him then, amen. So let's just do that for 10 more seconds. Let's just give God the praise that he deserves. Lift your own voice. Just tell God that you love him. Thank you, Jesus, for victory. Thank you, God, for your love that never fails. Thank you, Lord, for joy and freedom. Thank you for healing us, Lord, and for saving us from sin. We thank you, God, that you never fail. You're always in control, and we can trust in your promises today. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Amen. God's good. Go ahead and grab your seats. Isn't it good to be together tonight? I want to give you a couple of family updates. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor of Generation Church. If you're new, a couple of things I wanted you just to know about. In uh, the next season here, we're going to be getting ready to move into that new worship facility that we've been working on building. Maybe you noticed it being built over these last couple of years. We're coming up to the finish line. And so in these next couple of weeks, we'll have inspections going on. And probably in the next week or two, I'll be able to give you more of a firm timeline on our first Sunday in that facility. Uh, what's going to happen is we're going to move into it as soon as we pretty much can. Then we'll kind of have our Christmas season. When we first move into it, we'll have like a week of just dedication and thanking God and really celebrating what he has done in our church and go through that Christmas season. And then in January, we're going to have like a really big grand opening and push it out to the community and invite people to come and check out what God's been doing. But if you've been a part of giving and helping us to expand the kingdom of God and build this church, I want to thank you for being a part of that. And these last couple of weeks at church, we talked about giving. Many of you bring tithes and offerings to the Lord as an act of worship. And without you doing that, church growth like this would not be possible. I know some of you just started giving in the last couple of weeks too. Praise God for that. God is working in your life. He's going to bless you. And so be encouraged as you see your faith grow. But I'm grateful to be a part of a generous church that is excited about the Lord doing his thing through us. So that's good. Also, I want to let you know this upcoming Wednesday night is Bold Men's Night. So where, where are my men at in, in the room? Okay, you got some men. You got raised, yeah, I saw some of you raise your hands. Some of you grunted at me. Some of you just like flexed your pecs. That's cool. Hey, listen, if you're a man, you need to be at Bold Men's Night on Wednesday at 7. If you are a woman and you have a man in your life, a husband, a son, a friend, encourage him to be here that night because our church believes in raising up strong men of God. When men are strong... Families are strong and churches are strong and communities are strong. And so we believe in strong men. Be here for that. Well, I'm going to preach a special, a special message tonight, taking a break from our Exodus series. Uh, if you haven't noticed, there's an election coming up. So I want to give you a message tonight titled, How to Vote. If you know me, I probably won't say anything that surprises you. If you're new to our church and this is your first week, wow. What a week to come for the first time. But the nice thing is you're going to know really quick whether or not this is the church for you. So we're just going to help you figure that out. 
In Proverbs 29, it says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. Isn't that the truth? You just need to know this. You do not attend a Republican church. You do not attend a Democrat church. This is a Jesus church. And our hope is not in an elephant or a donkey, but a slain lamb. This is Jesus's church. And we don't have to sit around and wonder how would Jesus vote because we actually have the Bible and we can read what God actually says. And so a lot of churches, a lot of times pastors, they'll beat around the bush when it comes to these types of issues. And they think that being neutral is a badge of honor. Maybe that could have been true if everybody involved in politics was honorable. But those days ended 60, 70 years ago. Clarity is kindness. And so I want to be clear as a pastor so people can actually know the truth because knowing the truth is what sets you free. You need to realize this as well, that you belong to a biblically faithful church. We believe God's word and we teach what it says and we don't apologize for that. So that means you will eventually hear something that irritates you. I want you to know tonight that I come in peace. But I did wake up today with the spirit of violence. And I'm hoping to offend everyone in some way. If you already voted, I think something in this message will still help you and something might still irritate you. And that's not a bad thing. But I want to give you some guidance. It says in Proverbs 11, for lack of guidance, a nation falls. But victory is won through many advisors. So I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I think that would get weird, and I respect you as an adult to make your own choices and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, but I will give you 10 guiding principles for how to vote, and then you can pray, and you can apply this to your decision-making process in the voting booth, and you can teach your kids how to vote as they grow up. So I'm going to give you 10 principles. Here's the first one, how to vote. Number one, you should actually vote. I've heard too many people throw up their hands and they'll say, well, what's the point? They make these pessimistic comments, you know, like, well, the system is this or both sides are that. And so they neglect their duty to participate in this most important aspect of society. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Do you understand the role that we play in the world as Christians? Salt in ancient times prevented decay. In Christians, in society, we prevent moral decay. You could say we're conservative, praise God. But you can see that as Christians have been absent from the political sphere, society has decayed progressively, morally, over time. So we need to be here to conserve against moral decay and shine truth in the darkness that pierces through the devil's lives, the lies. Uh, and we as Christians, we have a scriptural mandate to push back against evil and to lead and to shine and to speak the truth in every realm of society, including government, because when a nation honors the Lord, the Lord will honor that nation. And in doing so, people will rejoice, prosperity spreads, and peace is sustained. The latest estimates tell us that between 15 to 30 million Christians don't regularly vote in their local or national elections. So think about that. That's 30 million voices missing from the public square. Why? 
because people are too busy scrolling or too apathetic to fill out a ballot. It's unacceptable. Many people will say, well, what about the separation of church and state? That's something people love to bring up to me whenever I say something that makes them uncomfortable. You just need to keep all that to yourself because the separation of church and state. What, what is that principle? Well, it comes from the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, which says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And I affirm this statement. We don't want the government creating a state religion or infringing on our right to worship as our faith dictates. The problem is this that secularist and godless pagans have used the principle of separation in church and state to silence their political enemies anytime you dare bring up your faith. So they'll use this as a weapon to bludgeon us into silence. And anytime I talk about a hot button issue as a pastor, people will bring up our tax exempt status or separation of church and state. And really what they mean is shut up with your God talk but we're not going to. The separation of church and state, it has nothing to do with Christians being silent on political issues. And it has everything to do with the government staying out of the church's business. And if you think politics has no place in the church, you're allowing the enemy to dominate a sphere of society that has the greatest impact on our world and future generations. So we will not yield this sphere of society to the enemy. In Proverbs 14, it says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin condemns any people. And sometimes we will look for righteous candidates that we can really get excited about, and we might end up a little disappointed. There are some candidates, they have maybe some good things going for them, but then maybe in other ways, you don't align with them on 100% of the issues. And I, I do think that, first off, political candidates in the ideal world, they should be role models. They should be people you can look up to and your kids can look up to. That's not always the case, unfortunately, but I do wanna caution you on this. Politicians should never become idols. And we have to be careful that we don't start to glorify certain personality types and worship them as idols. I talk to some Christians, they talk about President Trump, like right now he's seated at the right hand of the father and someday he's gonna return again to save us from sin and death. And I'm like, you just need to slow your roll. We've already got a savior. Now, it's important to note this, that when you vote for a politician, you don't have to find someone who's perfect. We're not voting for a Messiah. We've already got a perfect savior named Jesus, right? No candidate is perfect and nobody will align with you on 100% of the issues, but the goal for us as Christians is to empower people who are more likely to leave our nation better off than they found it. So voting, understand, is a chess match. A chess match where every time we vote, we strategically advance society in a way that earth looks a little more like heaven every two years. Not every candidate is gonna be a home run, but if they can at least get on base, that's better than striking out. Or to use a football analogy, right? Not every candidate is gonna be a touchdown, but if you can at least move the ball forward, that's how you ultimately win. 
in Deuteronomy 1, it said, Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. So you see this idea of voting and electing leaders going all the way back to God's people, Moses and the Israelites. Notice he didn't say, choose perfect men. He didn't say you got to choose men who will never fail or that the system has to be perfect in order for you to participate. And that's what we're called to do today is choose leaders who are more likely to leave society better than they found it than not. Burying your head in the sand does not abdicate you of responsibility. I believe that refusing to vote when you're able to is a dereliction of duty. It's abandoning your post and it's refusing to work towards a better future for your family. In 1 Timothy 5, it says this, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. When we think of this passage and providing for your family and members of your household, we tend to think of basic needs like food and shelter and clothing, and those are the most essential needs, but there are other ways that you provide for members of your household. And voting is one of the ways you can provide a better future for members of your household. We know this, that if you can vote to elect leaders and establish laws that honor God, that is better for society. It will be a blessing to society, even if not everyone in that society has saving faith in Jesus. Because we know you're blessed by following God's ways, even if you don't do it for the right reasons. So I think just like it would be a sin for a parent to neglect his children or her children or their development, their correction, it would be a sin for a Christian who is able to, to not vote. We have a responsibility and it's one of the ways that we can love our neighbors by voting to establish leaders and laws that will be honoring to God That's a blessing to society. And by being a part of that, you're loving your neighbor. Here's the second thing. Vote God's values first. You cannot separate your faith from your vote. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And his will is more important than your wishes. Now, there are many issues I care about that I would put in the category of secondary issues. A lot of things that are important, like everybody wants good health care and, and good tax policy. I mean, none is better than some, right? But there are secondary issues, and yet then there are also primary issues. And you have to be clear on this. The Bible doesn't have a lot to say about every political issue. So we put that in the category of secondary issues. The Bible is very clear on other issues, so those become primary issues. So you got to be clear on this. God's values come first. If you vote for an ungodly candidate with evil positions on primary issues because you care more about a secondary issue than you've elevated your priorities above God's. Biblical issues are always more important than your personal issues. In Proverbs 3, it says, In everything you do, put God first. And he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. In other words, if you make it a priority to take care of what God cares about, he will take care of what you care about. So there are room to make judgment calls and use discretion, but the Holy Spirit will not lead you to vote for a candidate who has positions that blatantly contradict God's standards of righteousness. There are many important issues that we could say matter to God. I think every issue matters to God if it affects people because the Lord loves people. 
So we need wisdom to make the best decision in unclear circumstances. So I think of like in 1 Chronicles 12, it talks about the sons of Issachar who understood the times and what they ought to do. In Romans 13, it says we should know the times. In Luke 12, Jesus chastises the people for not recognizing and discerning the times. So we need wisdom to recognize the times we're in so we then know what are the most important issues of our time. That brings me to the third point. Vote for life and not death. Because abortion is the greatest injustice of our day, voting for pro-life candidates is by far the greatest importance in our day. This is the number one issue. In Psalm 82, it says, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. And in Proverbs 31, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. There's nobody who needs our voice more than the unborn. They can't vote, they can't march. Their only hope is that Bible-believing Christians will stand up and actively fight on their behalf. There are Christians who will say, well, I don't like abortion. I'd hope not. But it's not really my place to say what other people should do. It's easy for you to say that when you've already been born. And really what those Christians mean is, I know in my soul it's morally wrong, but I don't wanna to have to deal with the backlash of going against the cultural grain. Just like Pontius Pilate tried to wash his hands of guilt when he turned Jesus over to be crucified. You can't alleviate yourself of guilt by turning a blind eye. So hear me on this. It is impossible to be faithful to God and pro-choice. There is no such thing as a pro-choice Christian. Anyone who tells you otherwise is deceived or in denial. In fact, here's the choice you do have. You can either fight for every baby's right to life or be complicit in their death. People will say, well, does voting even make a difference? They'll say, it doesn't even make a difference. It makes a difference. Look at what just happened. President Trump appointed three pro-life Supreme Court justices who then overturned Roe v. Wade. That makes a difference. So what we need to do is vote and use our voting power to empower people who will fight for life. A pro-choice candidate is therefore never an option for a Christian. And in case you couldn't tell, I like to be clear on these issues. So I'm just gonna go ahead and throw it out there and say the quiet part out loud. The official Democratic Party platform is pro-choice. And there are no pro-life Democrats in national office that I can find. And I've searched high and low. If you find one, call the Endangered Species Society. <laughs> so that means if you vote for a Democrat as a Christian, you're voting for abortion. It's just the way it is. Number four, vote for family as God created it. God created the family unit, and so God gets to define it. In Mark 10, Jesus affirmed God's original design in Genesis and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Amen. God tells us this pairing is his design 
for sexuality, that a husband and a wife, they're married and they enjoy sex in that context. And in that context, it's a good thing. It's a blessing. It's to be enjoyed. And he tells Adam and Eve in the garden to multiply and fill the earth and be fruitful, raise children. The Bible tells us to raise up children in the ways of the Lord. And when they're older, they won't depart from that. So we know God's design for the family. A husband and wife enjoying sex in marriage, that's the only sexuality that is blessed and ordained by God. And this is the only type of family unit that God recognizes. A society that redefines and de-emphasizes the family unit defies God and rebels against what God has established. Hear me on this. A homosexual relationship is always a sinful relationship and will never be blessed by God. And just because you have a family member who's gay doesn't change what God's word says. And a society that condones rebelling against God's design suffers alongside rebels. So we don't wanna be a part of that. We want our nation to please God. God ordained one man and one woman to be married and to raise their children to know the ways of the Lord. That means that we know as Christians, parents are the best equipped to teach and disciple and raise their children in right and wrong, but especially when it comes to sex. That's a parent's job to teach his kids about sex, to teach her children about sexuality and God's plan. It's not a public school teacher's job to teach kindergartners about sex. So we need to vote for candidates who understand that strong families create strong societies, amen? The family is essential. Here's the fifth thing, vote for freedom to worship. We were very blessed in Arizona over these last couple of years that we had a lot of freedom to gather and worship but I saw many cities after 2020 where churches were prohibited from gathering. And that was so hard for the people in these churches. I know that maybe a lot of you didn't go through that, but I talked to the pastors at these churches and there was just a sadness and a despair that those believers had to fight against and their entire communities suffered because of that. Uh, we know that it's a good thing to go to church, right? Like I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I'm preaching to the choir right now because you actually came to church tonight. So you can just pat yourself on the back and... It's good to go to church. Online church is great. You know, I'm glad we have it. We have a pretty good experience and it's good if you're sick, you can watch online. Or if you're on vacation, you can watch online. Or if you're on a business trip and that's good. It's better than missing, but it's not as good as gathering in person. There is something special that happens when the people of God gather together to glorify God that brings about the manifest presence of God. And you experience that, many of you. You come into church and you're like, I just feel it. I feel it. If you're watching online right now, praise God. I'm glad you're watching. Get back next week to in-person service because it's good for you. Church is essential and it always will be. And there are politicians who would take any excuse to shut us down, but then there are also politicians who would seek to silence our voices permanently and label God's word as hate speech. We've seen what happens these last couple of years as fact checkers and censors limit part of the truth. And I've seen many pastors I'm friends with deplatformed and canceled from social media for just simply saying 
some of the same things I've said in this sermon. In Canada, there are pastors who've been arrested for just saying what the Bible says. And you got to understand how this progresses. The same people who want to cancel us today will seek to kill us in the future. The church of Jesus Christ, it can survive and it can flourish even in the face of persecution. But we don't want to ignorantly empower the very people who would persecute us or hinder our ability to gather and worship and teach our kids God's word. So we need to protect our freedom to worship by voting for people who fear God above men. Then here's the sixth thing. This is particularly relevant today. This is one of our issues. We need to vote for biological truth. If you want to feel like you're going crazy, just watch the transgender movement. Trying to tell us that women should be able to compete in men's sports, that men can have babies. It's just completely delusional. And the people that are caught up in transgenderism are mentally and spiritually unwell. It will never be normal. These are people who need Jesus. But we have our own political leaders agreeing with this delusion and saying that boys can become girls and girls can become boys and children who aren't even old enough to get a tattoo should be able to cut off their body parts without their parents' permission. This is demonic. In July, a group of Democrats in Congress introduced a trans bill of rights. And what it does is it seeks to protect the right to sex change surgery for minors and ban what they call conversion therapy. When they say conversion therapy, really what they, that means is if you try to tell your child, no, you're actually a boy because God made you a boy, and you bring God and faith into it, they'll call that conversion therapy, and it's already been made illegal in parts of Canada. There's people that wanna make it illegal to do that in our nation as well. This is just really disturbing. And then to make it worse, the woke mob will say, if you don't agree with all of this, then you're a bigot. It's, it's just picking up steam. And I, I honestly think when it comes to this transgender issue, that this issue is where the devil has overplayed his hand. I've gotten text messages from non-Christians lately where they're like, yeah, actually this has made me realize that this whole movement is like insane and it's affecting the way that they're gonna, I think even non-Christians are waking up to the insanity of the devil's schemes because of this. But again, Jesus reaffirms the original design that's talked about in Genesis. He says in Mark 10, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, not male and or female on a sliding spectrum, depending on how you feel that day alongside 72 other genders, male and female. There are two genders. That's the truth. We cannot play make-believe and join in the delusion of delusional people because we are people of truth. And if you don't have the common sense to acknowledge that and stand up to the woke mob, you're not fit to lead. Here's the seventh thing. Vote for unity and not division. Unity and not division. America is great in many ways because it's a melting pot. And we have people from all different backgrounds coming together, united in one 
a set of values, beliefs about how our nation should be governed, and that's a great thing. But there are people today who want to divide us by skin color, by ethnicity or social class or nation of origin, and that is demonic. Even Christians, though, are playing right into the devil's schemes. Politicians are using this divisive rhetoric and this division for their own political purposes to manipulate people. And the devil is also using it for spiritual destruction. This division has worked its way even into many churches. I know of churches in the valley where they're telling people, hey, if your skin color is this, then you're a victim. And if your skin color is this, then you need to apologize for being racist. And they're just repeating this critical race theory wokeism. As Christians, we know that scripture is more important than skin color. So God's word has the final say on these issues. In John 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So that includes you. You realize that, that Jesus prayed for you? Isn't that cool? I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I'm in you, may they experience such perfect, what's that word? Unity, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me, or you love them as much as you love me. So Jesus, tells us, other places in scripture, it affirms this, that as Christians, we are to pursue unity. Okay, so let me, t- let me just contrast this real quick. Diversity is a good thing. We have a lot of diversity in our church, and I think it's awesome how diverse heaven will be. People all look, people will look different. They'll, they'll come from different backgrounds and places on the the planet and they'll speak different languages, but we're gonna be united in our love for Jesus. Heaven is gonna be incredibly diverse. But as Christians, our primary goal is not to try to manufacture diversity or to chase after it, it's to pursue unity. Okay, this is an important distinction. All mankind, we are made in the image of God, all of us, regardless of where we come from or what we look like, And we all have inalienable rights that were given to us, not by the government, but by our our creator, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so we need to look for leaders who will seek to unify us based on all that we have in common, not divide us based on surface level problems. At this church, you need to know this, we are one in Christ Jesus. Which means that there's no place for prejudice in our church. There's no place for racism in our church. And if someone who has racist feelings kind of makes that known, our response to racism is the same as our response to every other sin. Submit your life to Jesus and love one another. It's into conversation. I'm grateful that we get to be unified in Jesus and one. And then here's the eighth thing. Vote for safety and security. My first allegiance as a Christian is to Christ and his kingdom. Second, I'm an American and I'm proud of that. And I believe this nation is exceptional. There are many people who are quick to bash our country and point out all its flaws from their mom's basement, (laughs) taking for granted the very freedom that allows them to make such public criticisms. Try making those kind of criticisms in China 
and see what happens. No country is perfect, but despite our flaws, we're the best thing afloat. Benjamin Franklin said about our country, it's a republic if you can keep it. I don't know about you, but I want to keep it because there's no other alternative. And I think about our national security. In Nehemiah chapter four, you see a scene where the people are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem after a time of being uh, refugees in another land. And so here's how this scene plays out. Nehemiah says in chapter four, I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall and the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Isn't that awesome? That just makes me wanna lift weights. Like there's some Bible verses that make me wanna like cry and worship, but this passage makes me wanna break stuff. In Jesus' name. It's just like awesome, like a brave heart scene, okay? So here, so here you see, it's not ungodly to want to defend your family, your loved ones. In fact, uh, we have a responsibility to do so. So there's a few ways I think this plays out that are relevant in our time. First, we need secure elections. This is just a little bit of pastoral common sense and wisdom that I want to communicate to you. Anyone who doesn't think you should have to simply show an ID to vote is obviously trying to cheat. It's that simple. And then on that note, I want to give you a pastoral word of caution. Okay. I think that we need to be very cautious and sober about accusing the other side of cheating. We don't want to get into a cycle of anytime you lose, you accuse the other side of cheating and undermine the democracy that's been such a blessing to us. So we got to be cautious about that and mature. The second thing is this, when it comes to safety and security, we need a strong military. It's just a reality of the world that we live in. You need a strong military because unfortunately there are evil people in this world. And when you have something good like we do, there will always be someone else who wants it. You cannot win wars with a woke military. When I was in the army, we had this policy called don't ask, don't tell. In other words, if you were going to do crazy stuff in your bedroom, keep it to yourself. Now the military is operating with the policy show and tell. That's not going to work because the enemies of our nation are not going to cower in fear if our military is charging down the battlefield with a rainbow flag. So we need leaders who will not politicize our military and pollute it with wokeness. Here's the third thing. We need secure borders. I will not vote for politicians who are committed to defending everyone else's borders except ours. Because a nation without borders is a nation without an identity. And eventually it will be destroyed. America is so great that even the people who hate it refuse to leave it. Have you noticed that? Every election cycle, there's people and all the celebrities from Hollywood are threatening to leave if their guy loses. And it's like, don't let the door hit you on the way out. <clears throat> but then when they lose, they don't leave because where else are you gonna go? 
right? And at the same time, there are people dying to get into it. The fact that a refugee will climb on a raft and brave the seas from Cuba, or that a mother will carry her child across the perils of the desert, says a lot about how great our country is. We're a nation of immigrants. And I love immigrants. One of the things I love about immigrants is they don't take this country for granted. We have illegal immigrants who go to this church, and I love them. We have legal immigrants who go to this church, and I love them. But we need secure borders. And having borders doesn't make you a racist. See, the reason you have a door on the front of your house is not because you hate your neighbors. It's because you love your family. And the reason that we need secure borders is not because we hate immigrants, but we wanna make sure that America remains a country worth immigrating to. Number nine, if you're still here, you're doing good. We wanna vote for financial responsibility. There's a lot of room to debate what we should and shouldn't spend money on, because we're always gonna have different you know, passions. If, if I should spend money on this, we should spend money on that. You know, that's okay. There's a lot of room to discuss that and debate that. But there are principles when it comes to handling money that the Bible is very clear about. Uh, it says that it's foolish to keep spending more money than you have. This is kind of common sense. It says this in Proverbs 21. Wise people have wealth and luxury, but stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. That's a word for someone tonight. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but God's like, hey, this is for you. <laughs> you raised his hand. Ah, I love you. I love you. <clears throat> That's awesome. Somebody bless that man for being honest. I got you, bro. See me after service. <clears throat> See, I think if we're being honest, there's a lot of citizens who are only thinking about getting their own. I want to get my entitlements and my perks and my benefits and their attitude is future generations can be damned. Do we really want to live that way and leave that kind of legacy to our children's children? Right now, our national debt is at $31 trillion with a T. And I think we've become kind of desensitized to these numbers at this point. We're like, what's another trillion? Do you realize what that comes out to? That comes out to $93,000 per citizen. That's a lot. It says this in Proverbs 13, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So what do you think a bad man does? Leaves a debt. We can't just keep kicking the can down the road and passing the bill to future generations, spending more money than we have, or there won't be anything for them to live for. And then here's the last thing. Number 10, we will vote with peace because Jesus still reigns. Amen. You can have comfort knowing that Jesus is on the throne and he's in control. When he first came, his disciples were expecting him to usher in his kingdom and bring all their problems to an end. They were really excited and then kind of disappointed to find out that wasn't the plan. In John 18, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He came the first time to establish his heavenly spiritual kingdom. And all of us are a part of that through faith in Jesus. And when he returns again someday, his, his kingdom will come fully and finally. And there will be no more sickness or crying or pain. 
Those things will have passed away. It's gonna be awesome. In the meantime, we know that we are going to struggle at times. We're going to deal with disappointment. And we do, we wanna vote for people who are likely to leave our nation better off than they found it. We wanna do our part and work to make the world a better place. That's obvious, but at the same time, we have to be clear that until Jesus returns, the world will never be a perfect place. There will always be sin and evil and depravity and suffering. And that's just part of reality. That is why lost people become so frenzied about politicians and politics. Because if you don't know Jesus, your only hope is in a politician. The idea that, well, this, this leader can fix my problems, or if this guy gets elected, or if this gal gets elected, that, that, that will make my world okay. And we know that that's just a false hope. As Christians, our hope is anchored to Jesus so that in the storms of life, in the ups and the downs, we have a steady hope. We can have peace that Jesus reigns and he's in control. That means that if your guy wins, you can celebrate, but you don't get too excited because your ultimate hope was always in Jesus. And if your guy loses, you could be disappointed, but you won't be depressed because your peace is still found in Jesus. And in the meantime, as we are disappointed and we struggle, he's gonna carry us through. He will sustain us and he'll continue to reveal his goodness to us. Amen. Will you stand with me? I'm so grateful for this nation and that we get to be a part of this together. Let's pray together. Let's ask for God's blessing. And uh, then we'll take time to worship the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. I pray that today your word will have found good soil in our hearts and that people will have heard the heart of what I was saying, not just the words that I was saying. We all wanna be changed to become more like Jesus. We wanna look and talk and act more like Jesus, Lord. And we pray that you will help us to do that and that you will be the Lord of every part of our lives including how we vote and engage in society. Lord, I pray that you will use us as salt and as light, that we would shine for you and that people would see your love through us. We lift you up, Lord, and we glorify you. We give you all the praise and glory and honor, and we declare that our hope is in you, so we always have peace through you. I pray that you'll pour out your spirit on us, God. I pray that you will bless us and our nation. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God praise together. Just lift up his name.